team felt when they got Logan's text message at 4.30 this morning, like, I'm sick, I'm not making it today. Uh, I'm not sure how I'd feel if I got that message from Steve when he's supposed to preach, like, Brian, you're up. So appreciate those guys rolling with it and flexing and doing a great job. Hey, I want to, uh, if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've never filled out one of these things called a connection card, they're in the seat back in front of you. It's uh, just a way for you to let us know that you're here, and if you want some more information about the church, if you want us to pray for you, all that stuff, you can check on the back, and uh, a little later in the service, we'll pass an offering bag, and you can just drop this in there at that, uh, that time. A couple things I want you to know about. Next Sunday, we're going to be doing believers' baptisms uh, in our services next, next week, and a number of people are already prepared for that. But if you've been hearing about it and kind of been wavering and wondering into this morning, you're like, yes, I'm going to do it, uh, we would love for you to check the little box on the connection card. We, we really do need to know today because tomorrow and Tuesday we will be capturing the kind of the testimonies on video, so uh, we have to organize that. So you can check that if you um, would like to take that step and be baptized next week. The other thing you can sign up for on here is called Membership Matters. This is part of our membership process. We do this three times a year. Um, so on the October 27th, we will be taking, Steve and I will spend three lovely hours on a Sunday afternoon with you to describe what it means to be a, a member here at Faith. And so if you want to learn more about that, if you know you're ready to become a member, um, that's part of our process. If you, if you come, it doesn't commit you to, to membership, but it is part of our process and a great way to learn more about us. So love to have you come and uh, check that on the box to uh, get signed up for that. <clears throat> well, late this week, I took some time just to sort of reflect back on some of the conversations I've had with different people over the last couple of weeks. And uh, here are some of the situations that some people inside and outside this, the, the church are facing. Uh, most of these are inside the church. Uh, a marriage in trouble. Actually, I think there were a couple of those kind of conversations. Uh, broken family dynamics. Loss of a job. Adult children far from God. Life-altering, life-threatening medical situations. Interpersonal conflict at work. Mental health challenges. Difficult decisions regarding aging parents, addictions, deep struggles with sin. And that's just some of them. And that's just a two-week snapshot of some of the conversations that I've had. Uh, the reality is uh, life in this world sometimes is really hard. Uh, it brings us all kinds of, of challenges. And uh, some of you I know are facing some of these kinds of things this morning. Others of you here, you know, come this morning and, and there's things you're struggling with of a, of a lesser nature, but there's still real challenges. There's still difficult things. And maybe you've had friends telling you, Christian friends telling you about that situation, trust God. Just trust God. And honestly, that's great advice. I'd have the same advice for you, but what does that look like? What does it mean to just trust God in those situations. Well, today, I want to take us to an Old Testament passage to consider a king of Judah who models uh, what it looks like to trust God in the midst of some very difficult things. His name was Hezekiah, and uh, Hezekiah is one of the good kings in the Old Testament. He actually gets a lot of coverage. Uh, you know, David, of course, gets a lot of coverage. Solomon gets a lot of coverage, but a lot of them don't get a lot of treatment. Hezekiah gets a lot of coverage. Uh, Second Chronicles, four chapters. Isaiah, four chapters. 
We're going to look at 2 Kings 18, 19, and 20, where there are three chapters about him and his situation and how he trusts God. So we're going to obviously not read all of this. That would be the full sermon if I just read it all. So we're going to kind of read some excerpts. But right at the start of 2 Kings 18, we're told that he's the son of King Ahaz, who was one of the wicked kings in Judah. But unlike Ahaz, Hezekiah comes to the throne, age 29, and it says in verse 3, he did right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 4 tells us how he reestablished the worship of Yahweh in, uh, in Judah. If you go over to the Second Chronicles, four, three of the four chapters in Second Chronicles are all about the religious kind of restoration, the, the uh, consecration of the Levites and the priests, and the consecration of the temple, and the destruction of idols, and all these kind of things. That, that gets boiled down and gets one verse in Second Kings 8.4. And then we come to Second Kings 18.5, and the writer makes this kind of a summary statement about King Hezekiah. Verse 5 of chapter 18, it says, He trusted in the Lord the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. Hezekiah, it tells us, trusted the Lord. It's kind of this summary statement that capsulizes his life. In 2 Kings 18, 19, and 20, trust and its derivatives are used nine different times. Uh, It's all over this passage. In fact, one dictionary theology makes the observation that the language of trust occurs more frequently in this passage than any other Old Testament passage. It's about trust, trusting God. And of course, uh, it does not say everything that the Bible says about trusting God, but it does paint a picture for us that would be really helpful in our own situations. And so this morning, I want to kind of walk through what his situation was, how he responded, and then talk about what we can learn from it, how we can apply it to our own things that we are facing. So if you go down to 1813, we read this about Hezekiah's difficult situation. It says, Now in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Now, if you don't know much about kind of Old Testament biblical history, uh, in Hezekiah's day, Assyria was the world power. You see the, 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 the purple there. Uh, that's a landmass uh, kind of like the size of modern uh, Europe. So big uh, kingdom that uh, Assyria controls And right about the time when Hezekiah is coming to the throne, well, at this time in in history, Israel has been divided into two kingdoms. Uh, Most of you know that. You have the southern nation of Judah, which Hezekiah is the king of Judah. And then you had the ten tribes that made up the northern kingdom of Israel. In 722 B.C., Assyria comes and destroys the capital of Israel, which is Samaria, and essentially carries the ten tribes that make up that northern kingdom off into captivity. And, and, and so Israel, that northern kingdom, is just obliterated. And so Hezekiah comes to the throne, and Assyria, their empire is sitting right there on the northern border of Judah. And when it says that they were conquering, they were they were. Uh, coming up against the fortified cities of Judah, they have come down along the kind of the Mediterranean coast, uh, the western side of Judah, and they're making incursions into the plains 
of Judah, and, and they're capturing all of their fortified cities. I think it's like 40-some cities that they have already captured, and Jerusalem will be threatened next. It's like that's the big one, right? And so they're capturing all these other fortified cities. That is his situation. I think it's important as we look at this today also to remember, I think sometimes when we read about people in the Bible, they can kind of take on like this superhuman, otherworldly, like, well, that's them. They're in the Bible. But Hezekiah is a flesh and blood person just like us. He is a man. And he lived in this situation. He actually lived in this situation where that empire is sitting right there and is capturing his cities in Judah. And Jerusalem's threatened. I mean, he doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow. He's walking this out day by day. That is who he is, and that is who his situation. I think we need to remember that. Uh, he really had to choose. How am I going to respond in this situation? He trusts God, and his model is, is, I think, a great one for us to look at. So in 1817, it tells us that the king of Assyria eventually sends a large army to Jerusalem with some envoys. And these envoys speak to Hezekiah's officials, and we read this in verse 19. It says, Then Rabshakeh said to them, Hezekiah's officials, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What is this confidence that you have? You say, but they are only empty words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom do you rely that you have rebelled against me? Verse 29, thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand, nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us, and the city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. So they come, and they're speaking to the official representatives of Hezekiah, but they also speak loudly to the people on the walls of Jerusalem. And, and they're, they're you know, trying to install fear in, in the army that's up on the walls. Finally, the Assyrian ambassadors say that none of the gods of the other nations have been able to deliver those nations. Verse 35. Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their land from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? So that's the deal. That's the threat. Fortified cities captured. Now they're coming. A large army has come to Jerusalem. And uh, Hezekiah knew. I mean, no one has stood against this Great power. How does he respond? Verse 19. The, the officials, Hezekiah's officials, they come and they give him this report. And uh, 19.1 says, And when King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and he entered the house of the Lord. And so there's this sense of he humbles himself, right? Tearing clothes, sackcloth. But he enters the house of the Lord. And it goes on to describe how Hezekiah sends representatives to the prophet Isaiah and asks Isaiah to pray for Jerusalem. And then in verse 6, a word from the Lord comes to Hezekiah through Isaiah. And this is what it, what it says in verse 6. Isaiah said to them, Thus you, you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. So the first thing he does, he, he humbles himself, and he, he goes into the temple. He goes in to, to, to talk to God. 
And he asks Isaiah to pray to the Lord. And through Isaiah, God tells Hezekiah that the armies will be sent away and ultimately Sennacherib will be killed. Sometime later, the king of Assyria sends messengers again to Hezekiah. This time they they come with a letter. And, And they basically say, to Hezekiah in the letter, and they say to the people, you cannot believe God, don't trust him, he's deceiving you when he says he will deliver you. Hezekiah, you know what Assyria has done to all the nations around you, we have destroyed them, and we will destroy you too. And, and they continue to carry on a form of psychological warfare. If you go and read that passage today, they use some pretty earthy language to describe what people are gonna experience if, if they have to, if the, when the siege of Jerusalem comes. And Hezekiah, again, he knew their track record. He knew they had destroyed. No one had ever had been stopping them. No one had been able to resist them. Verse 14, how does he respond? Then Hezekiah, he took the letter from the hand of the messengers and he read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. He goes into the house of the Lord and he spreads the letter out before him, right? He he goes before God. He goes to talk to God, the one he calls the living God, the creator God, and he asks him to deliver Jerusalem, that God would intervene, that God would do something that all the nations would know that the Lord is God. God answers. Isaiah tells him in verse 20, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard you. And then in verse 32, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he will return. And he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And then in verse 35 we're told that that God sends an angel of the Lord into the camp of the Assyrians and just annihilates them that night. And they withdraw. And Sennacherib goes back to, uh, he goes back home and and a number of years later, his own sons strike him down, uh, fulfilling what God said he would do. Tough situation, right? Desperate situation. But Hezekiah trusts God in that situation. And God delivers him. I want to spend the, kind of the rest of our time thinking about how he responded and, and think about what that might look like in our own lives as a, as a kind of pattern. Again, this isn't everything that the scriptures would say about trusting God, but it's a great model for us to follow. Uh, and so um, 
yeah, kind of a model for expressing trust. One thing that actually came to me during the first service that is not part of your outline here, um, but I think it is really important when we face difficult things. The first thing he does, right, he, he talked about how he tore his clothes, sackcloth, he humbled himself. And, and I think as we come to difficult situations, humbling ourselves before God is very appropriate to, to, to not sort of stiffen our neck against the difficult thing, but we humble ourselves, okay? So he does that. That's bonus because that wasn't your outline. Um, but the first thing then, it, it, the, the next thing it says, um, he, he goes into the house of the Lord. And so take it to the Lord first. Whatever you're facing, whatever difficult thing it is, take it to the Lord first. Two times he gets bad news and we see him go to the house of the Lord. He takes it to the Lord first. Now, full disclosure, if you go over to the Second Chronicles passage, uh, it describes that when the threat first uh, arises, they do, uh, Hezekiah leads his people to secure a water supply. It's going to be important if Jerusalem faces a siege to have a water supply, and he, he builds a wall. And so he wasn't being passive. I mean, th those would be really appropriate things for the king to do, to do some stuff that's going to secure the population and protect them. So he wasn't being passive. He was doing appropriate things, but there's no sense that he's trusting in those things. He takes it to the Lord first. When we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, when I find myself in a difficult circumstance, where do we go? What do we do? Do we take it to the Lord first? I know sometimes I, I want to talk to someone else first, or I want to read another book first that might give me some insight. Um, or I want to just figure it out in my mind first. I want to think it all through on my own first. Or sometimes I just want to ignore it first. I don't even want to think about it. I'll just, can I just ignore it first? And sometimes I don't go to the Lord first. I go to him second, third, or last. But, but Hezekiah models this, this going right to the Lord, going to the Lord first. So whatever your situation is, take it to the Lord first. And really, this is another, the second point is, is really another way to say that. Um, we should pray about it. We should pray about it. He goes into the house of the Lord and he prays about the situation. He doesn't deny how desperate the situation is. He's honest and he prays, truly, O Lord, the kings of the Assyrians have devastated the nations and the lands. And in response, God says to him, because you have prayed to me about Sennacherib, I've heard you. And in, in hearing, the, it's implicit that he's going to answer. Because you have prayed, I've heard you. Because you have prayed, I've heard you. I don't know what, like what would have happened if he didn't pray. What if he would have just merely depended upon himself and the best that he could muster? And, and what if he didn't pray? Uh, we don't know, right? Friday night, Cindy and I watched a movie, and it was one of those. It was... Uh, called Yesterday. It's kind of a great, great movie. Uh, a lot of Beatles music in it. But at the end, there was an alternative ending, which you could watch. And so you, go, you can go this way or go that way. They weren't really that different. But uh, like this could have had an alternative ending, right? What if he didn't pray? But he did. He did pray. And God heard. And God intervened. Pray about what it is that you're facing. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive 
mercy and we may find grace to help in a time of need. Whatever your situation is, you have a place to go. You have a place to go. It's called the throne of grace. And there's mercy and grace to help in time of need. Go to the Father. Uh, I've heard Steve say in the past, uh, on this passage, the only thing that's being dispensed at the throne of grace is grace. And uh, we have a good Father that really wants to respond to how you pray. Go to Him in your time of need. So you go to God first. You pray about it. And as you do, we also see Hezekiah, he remembers God's character. He remembers God's character, and he prayed in light of God's character. In 1915, Hezekiah prayed, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. Hezekiah remembers that God is sovereign. You know, sometimes when we sing King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that's what he's praying here, literally. God, you are King of Kings. You are King of my king, you are Sennacherib's king. You are the, the sovereign one. You are the king of kings. And he says, you, he prays, you have made the heaven and the earth. He, he prays in light of the truth that God is the creator God. God made him. God made Sennacherib. God made the armies. The, and and, and he, he just prays in light of a creator God who's all powerful. And Hezekiah prayed in light of a God who he understood was personally aware of his situation Verse 16, he, he prayed, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib. And so he had this, this sense, God is a personal God, not way off in the distance, but he's present. He sees, he hears, he knows. That's who he prayed to, a sovereign God, a creator God, a powerful God who personally knows. As you think about how you pray for your own difficult situations, remember who God is. Remember his character. I mean, just these alone, sovereignty, power, and that he's personally aware, that's a lot. But the scripture says a lot more about God, right? He's good. He's wise. He loves you. I mean, these are things that are true about God, and we need to pray in light of all of these things as we face our difficult circumstances. Now, here's the deal. When we come into times of difficulty, if we really respond with humility and turn towards God, he teaches us a lot in the midst of that stuff about who he is. But if we're going to pray about his character when the difficult days come, and maybe right now things are good, and, you, and your sense of it's like, I, you, know, I, you know, I like God. He's nice. He doesn't seem necessary because things are going really well. Uh, today's the day to get to know him, though. Today is the day. And, and, and so just having this, this rhythm of, of a daily approach of coming to God day by day, spending time with him, getting to know him, looking for him in your days, that helps you understand his character. So when the tough times come, you know, it's not just some words you read in the Bible. It's something you know and you believe that you can hold on to. Today's the day to get to know him. Go to the God first, pray about our situation, remember who he is, and then ask. Ask for God's intervention. Eventually, Hezekiah made a request. He didn't just say, Lord, do whatever you want to do. He prayed, deliver us from his hand. He makes a bold request. And I, and I want you to notice the motivation behind the request. He prays, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. He prayed 
about the glory of God. He had sort of this uh, God-centered approach in his difficulty. He, he wanted deliverance, but ultimately it was about God's glory, God's fame, God's reputation among the nations. And so as we come to God and as we are praying uh, to have this sort of God-centered approach, that, that God's fame would be lifted up as he intervenes in our situation. We see Hezekiah doing that. Now, there's one other thing I want to point out that kind of in his model that we haven't seen yet. Um, if we would, would have gone on into chapter 20 of 2 Kings, that uh, records an account where uh, Hezekiah becomes, it says, mortally ill. He's sick. And he's going to die. And he prays in that situation as well. And God heals him. And after he heals him, he, he gives Hezekiah a promise. And the thing that's interesting about this account is that, we should, you know, it's in chapter 20, 18, 19, and 20. Uh, the, it is actually, the theologians tell us, it actually happened before all the stuff that I've just described. Uh, for the reasons and the purpose of the writer of this book, they put it afterwards. But it actually happened before in the, in the chronology of things. And so this is what it says in chapter 20, verse 6. This is what God says to Hezekiah after he heals him. He says, and I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and the city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And so when Hezekiah responds with trust, he does so in light of a promise that God has already made to him. God has already told him, I'm going to extend your life, and I'm going to deliver you in the city from the, the hand of the Assyrian king. And so the other thing we see in his model is that, that we need to cling to God's promises. We need to cling to God's promises. What has he said? We need to cling to those things in the midst of our difficult situations. And so when you're worried about finances, you cling to the promise that God has said, I will provide. When you lack wisdom, you cling to the promise that God has said, he gives wisdom to those who ask. When you're in a situation maybe where you're experiencing some kind of injustice, you cling to the promise that God says, I will accomplish justice for my people. And on and on and on, right? I mean, God has made so many promises to us. And I would, what I said about getting to know God and his character, it, it applies to the promises as well, right? How can you cling to something that you don't know? And, and so today's the day to get to know God's promises as well, right? Because when the, when the hard stuff comes, uh, if you know what God has said, uh, you have something to cling to. And I use that word very intentionally, cling to, because sometimes there's nothing else, right? But, but you know that God has said something in the difficulty, and you cling to it, you hold to it in light of his character. He's true, and he's said this, and so I cling to that promise, You may not be facing something difficult right now. Some of you are. Uh, some of you are right in the midst of these kind of things. I mean, your Jerusalem is surrounded by a great army. Some of you are not there right now. But, but in this world, in this life, uh, at one, in one way or another, that day will come when your Jerusalem is surrounded by a great army and you're going to be in a tough faith situation. The way of escape will not be clear to you. And when that day comes, the advice to just trust God, it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's sort of like when Jesus said to the disciples, you know, do you all want to go away too? And, he, and Peter says, you know, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Where would we go? 
When we're in tough stuff, like, where else would we go? God's the one that we need to trust. And, and Hezekiah, he is not a perfect king. If you kind of look at all the chapters that write about him, he is not a perfect king. But he does model in this situation what trust looks like. Takes it to the Lord first. There's that humility. He takes it to the Lord first. He prays about it. He remembers God's character. And he clings to his promises. And then he asks. He boldly asks for God to intervene. Now, I think it's important to say that though we may trust God with our difficult situations, that doesn't mean that every issue in this life will be resolved in the way that we would want it to be. Not every broken thing will be fixed. Not every relationship will be mended. Not every sickness will be healed. Sometimes trusting God and clinging to his character and his promises, it just simply means we keep holding on to the truth that he is good, he is wise, he has a perfect plan that he is working out that sometimes we just don't understand, but we keep holding on, trusting that ultimately God is up to what is best and good and right, even if the thing we think is best isn't happening. We keep holding on, we keep trusting him. Where else would we go? He has the words of eternal life, right? Today we're celebrating the Lord's Supper and we will eat bread that reminds us that Jesus' body was broken for us and we will drink juice that reminds us that his shed, he shed his blood for us. That God would send his son into this world to suffer and die for us, to pay the penalty for my sin and yours, declares some very clear things about his character, doesn't it? He is for you. He loves you. He is an intervening God. He's intervening in our stories. He's a saving God. Whatever your difficult situation is, let this celebration remind you that these things are true. Uh, The cross declares these things loudly and clearly. This is also a celebration that is full of promise because Jesus told us to, to, we are to celebrate this table until he comes. And so every time we eat and drink the Lord's Supper, we are, we are declaring a promise that Jesus is actually coming back. He is coming back. And, and though everything will not maybe be summed up and answered and fixed in this life, Jesus is coming back back and it's so good it's good to remember our difficulties in light of the larger story right he will come back he will make all things right Uh, in this life uh, we should ask he does deliver he does change things he does mend things he does fix things but in some cases that deliverance that healing that fix will only come when jesus returns and so we remember that promise today as we take communion And so today, as you eat the bread and drink this juice, be reminded of who God is and who he is for you. Be reminded of the promise that Jesus is coming back. Let this meal nourish your faith in God. Well, let me explain a little bit how we're going to do this today. Faith is, we practice open communion, which means that if you are a believer in Jesus, we invite you to share this with us. It doesn't matter if you're a member here. It doesn't matter if this is just your first time you popped in here today. If you're a believer in Jesus, we we would love to have you share in this celebration with us. Um, If you're still kind of exploring who Jesus is, uh, you're here today exploring that. We're glad that you are. 
Um, but we would ask you to just, you can just pass the trays as they come to you. And, and sometimes even as believers, there's reasons we choose not to eat and drink, right? So it's okay just to pass it if, if you um, need to do that today. Uh, we'll pass the bread first, and in the middle cup, there's allergen, uh, gluten-free bread there if you need that. We'll pass the bread first and then the juice. We would ask you would wait till everyone is served, and we will eat and drink together kind of as an expression of our unity. And so as those who are going to serve would come forward, uh, please pray with me. Father, thank you for this table that we can gather around this morning and be reminded of some very clear things that you have declared to us through the cross and through Christ's resurrection and how much for us you are. And uh, God, would you remind us today about what this says about your character, your love, your goodness, the fact that you are intervening in our story. And uh, God, remind us that, that uh, as we walk through this life and there's difficult things, we, we do so and declare today that we know that Jesus is coming back, that, that there will be a day when he makes all things right. And so God, would you nourish us today, nourish our faith in these moments. In Christ's name we pray, amen.